Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. We are at uh, about the third of the way through our structured study of jhana. This is the 11th class. There will be two classes on uh, dependent origination, the Paticca Samuppada Sutta. Um, this sutta describes what the Buddha awakened to and, and that he taught that awakening as four noble truths. In other words, this process, rooted in ignorance of these four noble truths, leads through these 12 observable causative links to the stress and suffering that is so distracting uh, to all of us. It distracts us away from our lives. Um, it's a very personal sutta because it describes the, the, uh, it describes the problem of being a human being, meaning that as a consequence of being a human being, we will more than likely be born into this world ignorant of four very important truths. Now, there are some very rare occurrences where people are born that seemingly have an understanding of this. Um, Jiddu Krishnamurti is someone who's a contemporary of ours who comes to mind. I'm not going to get too deep into him. But it's interesting that uh, he gave a lot of talks, and a lot of his talks are almost pure uh, Buddhism, what, the, what, the, what Siddhartha Gautama taught. The problem is he didn't know how to teach others. He didn't understand that there was a path necessary for folks like me that weren't born like he was. Uh, and there's a few things that he says that, that aren't in line with the Dhamma. And I'm only making the point that there's a little work to do. We're not naturally born with understanding what we are. And so throughout human history, these things called the defilements, greed, aversion, rooted in deluded thinking, has always... Um, guided and framed human history. So we often refer to our history in terms of the most uh, catastrophic events rather than the most wonderful events. But that's not, you know, we still look at that um, usually through um, uh, the evolution of biology we look at the more positive aspects of human life. And in general, history points out how difficult it is to live a human life. But history doesn't describe the other times. Because about 99% of the time, my estimate, we're not caught up in greed, aversion, and deluded thinking, or at least we're experiencing life not rooted in those terms. But because we are so distracted by this process that I'm going to describe, we think this is all of life. We think the game of life is overcoming eye-making, but we don't recognize that we're eye-making. We don't recognize that I spend my life always trying to satisfy me, what I need to have in this moment to be happy, and it's arbitrary and it always changes, or what I need to avoid in this moment, which is also arbitrary and always changes. And all of that change relates to the environment that I'm living in and that I don't understand until now. And so Siddhartha realized 
when he set when he, he left his home, the palace, that there had to be a way of living in the world that could resolve in understanding in this moment and so not need this moment to be any different than it is. A way a word to describe that is peace or calm, rooted in understanding, not in manipulation and not in acquisition, just through understanding. And that is that difference between establishing a calm and peaceful mind rooted in understanding is what set, set Siddhartha Gautama apart from everything else that was being taught during his time and our time. Because every, at least everything that I've ever come across is rooted in not understanding what it means to be a human being, but overcoming the obstacle of being a human being. And that's denying my humanity, isn't it? By looking for salvation or looking for some way to be something other than I am in this lifetime. So I don't give... It, it is of no concern to me what I might be in a future life because I'm not there now. What I want to understand and really what I want to master is what it means to be a human being without my own ignorance getting in the way. The Buddha was at Sabati, at Judas Grove, and Nathapandika's monastery. There he addressed those assembled. Friends, I will describe in detail dependent origination. Listen carefully. The Buddha asked a rhetorical question, and what is dependent origination? From ignorance of Four Noble Truths, Four Noble Truths in parentheses, as a requisite condition come fabrication. So the Buddha is immediately describing the problem of being a human being. Why? So we understand that there's a problem with being a human being. And it's up to me to understand that problem. What is the problem? Ignorance. Ignorance of what? Ignorance of Four Noble Truths. And what happens because... I am born into this world. There's no choice in that matter, folks. We're here. Don't ask why, don't ask where, don't ask how. The brilliance of the Buddha says, recognize that you have a human life. It doesn't matter where you came from or where you're going. Put yourself where you are, right here and right now. I have a human life. What's the problem with that? I don't understand it. I don't, I don't understand what it means to be a human being. Whether I'm five years old or almost 67, it's up to me to understand. As I found, and as you've all found, no matter how long you've been living on this planet, the planet doesn't tell you what it means to be a human being, does it? School doesn't teach us that. It's not designed to. The world isn't designed to teach us what it means to be a human being. Who is it up to? To understand? Me. Who can teach me what it means to be a human being? Me. I'm the only one that can. I'm the only one that can experience me. So let me have me be as pure as I can possibly be without the need for a fabricated mind to, to alter and mismanage this moment to the point of distraction and sometimes to extreme stress that I create. From ignorance as a requisite condition comes fabrication. I don't understand what's occurring in this moment, so I fabricate it, I corrupt it. I make it fit a view 
that I've developed of me to compensate for the part of me that doesn't work very well in the world. Do you see the fabrication? Does anybody not see the fabrication? Because I don't understand what it means to be me in the world, I created a fabricated me, a fictitious me, that is now, from my belief, the real me. And now I have to hold that, that me up. And guess what? I know it's fabricated. And guess what? You know it's fabricated. And that's the stress that somebody might find out. Or that I won't be able to keep it up. Same thing. Somebody else might find out. What is that thought? Somebody else might find out. It's all BS. It's all a fabrication. That's eye-making. That's eye-making. And we, we hold on to that hope that nobody's going to find out what I am until we die. And we call that release. We even have words for it. They're at rest now. Well, what about at rest? And it's always bothered me when people said that. They're at rest now. What about now? What about during this human life? How do I rest in this human life? Why do I have to die to rest? What sense does that make? And it used to, these things used to drive me crazy. But I went along with him because everybody said it. He's at rest now. She's at rest now. They're at peace now. What about now? What about in this human life? How do I do it now? And nobody could tell me. But I had an understanding, at least a belief, that Siddhartha Gautama figured it out. It just wasn't being taught to me in any way that I came across until I actually read what he taught. Brad? I was just saying, could you, could you listen, or could you mention an example of what that would be? The fabricated, just keeping the, the, that up. Yeah, thank you. A fabrication is is any notion that I attach to myself as compensation for not being good enough in this moment. That's a fabrication. Why is it? Can you do you see the fabrication in it? I'm trying to be something I'm not. Instead of knowing this is who I am. Popeye was right. I am what I am. And I can't be anything other than this. So why can't I accept it? Why can't I accept me? It's called self-loathing. Somehow I got it. I got the idea in my head, like almost every other human being, there's whatever, seven billion of us, that I am inadequate for my life in some ways. But just the fact that we're living in this moment, what Laura described just before class, proves that I'm adequate. That we're all adequate. How do we know? What's the justification for my life? How do I justify my life? I take a look in the mirror. That's all. That's all the justification and explanation that this life needs, except I didn't know it. I thought I had to create something of myself, present it to you, and make that me. But I didn't understand how to, I didn't understand Four Noble Truths, so I'm creating a me out of a lack of understanding. But understanding Four Noble Truths, now I understand that at times, life is going to be difficult, life is going to be sad, life is going to hurt, life is going to be confusing. Once in a while, somebody's going to punch me right in the nose. 
sometimes I might lose everything or sometimes I might be afraid I'm going to lose everything or sometimes I might be afraid I'm going to lose you or my kids or my dog or my car or my wallet. That's all I make it. Or I might understand that I have the greatest gift anybody can ever give in this plane of existence. The understanding of my aliveness. That's all that I need to know, that I'm alive in this moment. But I never knew that I was alive in this moment because I created this whole big pile of fabrications that I insisted would meet and I believed it. And it wasn't until I threw off all these notions of who I was and just allowed myself to be what I am, I am what I am, that I experienced common peace, that I didn't need me to be any different. And And guess what? I didn't need you to be any different. And I didn't need the world to be any different. How can it be? And how can I be any different in this moment? From ignorance, as a requisite condition, comes fabrications. Excuse me. Does everybody understand how we do this to ourselves? Is it just basically like feel, uh, feelings or some thoughts arise, but don't like the way we feel, we fabricate on top of that to change the way we feel? Yes, and even in situations such as... Um, I'm going to close on a new house tomorrow. And in this moment, I'm thinking about all the anticipation that comes up from closing, all the good things. And I got that backyard pool. My dog can run in the big backyard. And I get a call from my lawyer who says, guess what? The house just burned down. Well, I'm going to spend the next three or four weeks of my life being how awful I couldn't get that heist. How could this happen to me? And who, whoever, who tried to burn my house down? Instead of, okay, time to look for another house. Is that a good enough example? In this moment, I attach myself to an idea that then has to become manifest because I decided it's me. Maybe that wasn't the greatest idea, but we do it all the time. Or, in this moment, here's a good example. I took a look at myself in the mirror before I left and I noticed this really awful thing that's on the end of my nose. (laughs) Right? And my, my first thought was, gee, what am I going to do about it? My second thought was, well, I can't do much about it right now. And actually, I know what it is. I've been to the doctor. It's not cancer, and they put the stuff on it. So, it, I mean, what am I saying here? There was a time when I would be ashamed of going out because I have a thing on my nose. Now I walk out, and I've got a thing on my nose. Does anybody notice a thing on my nose, by the way? No. Do you all? It's disturbing. Is it disturbing? Oh, then i got to do something about it. And then it's disturbing. Again, Brett, do you see? Or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm too heavy or I'm too thin or I don't have the right... All these things that we put on ourselves instead of... Instead of just being what I am. You know, a, a, a ward on the end of the nose, maybe not the cleanest clothes in the world. You know, maybe not the fullest head of hair. It doesn't matter. None of those things matter. Who, who I am what I have in the bank, what I, what I represent in the world. Being the world's greatest meditation teacher simply doesn't matter. What matters is the quality of my mind is that in this moment and then what I'm doing with it. Then what I'm doing with it, it doesn't mean that if I am out in the world that I should be doing nothing. If I decide that I want to live a life of simply being disentangled from the world, 
There's a way to do that, but we don't. Everybody that I know is part of a, an, an active living Sangha. We're out in the world. And so we practice our Dhamma out in the world. We take our understanding out in the world. It's expected that we'll do that. It, it's expected that we'll have jobs and we'll, have, and we'll go to school and we'll have families, we'll have relationships. That's a much more difficult experience of the Dhamma than going into a monastery. But there's still monasteries around that we can go to if you want to. Go ahead, we, we can talk about it. Talk to me if you want to. But we're not doing that. We're taking our Dhamma practice out into the world. And Brett is asking the question, how do we do it? How do we recognize that I'm making in this moment? It'll often feel like tension. And we have to start recognizing that even something like Laura was describing, Laura described a wonderful experience uh, at a museum, but reminiscing about those, the, what she saw in that museum and not quite understanding if it was distracting or just a pleasant memory. And we understood it. it's just a pleasant memory. There's a difference between that. But, it, but the difference would be if Laura was thinking to herself, I want to be back in that museum right now. What I'm looking at isn't the same. I don't like it. Therein lies the eye making because it doesn't reflect what's going on in this moment. So, Brett, can you give me a description of something in your life where you recognize tension and you recognize the eye making in it? Um, I guess maybe wanting my thoughts to be different. Like what? Uh, just kind of not liking the I guess fabrications that are coming up. And yep. today I was working and it's hot in the sun and I'm, you know, not in the mentally greatest place and I'm going, well, why does this keep on happening and how can I get out of this? And, you know, um, <clears throat> yeah. So I, you know, I don't know if that's. Yeah, so the, the reaction to what is occurring is called conditioned thinking, right. rooted in ignorance. And so now you can see that as you start understanding this, that, that, that thought of why is this going on won't occur because there's no root there's no, there's no foundation for that thought anymore that's a self-referential thought isn't it why is always you know why me why me why we why is this happening to me it might even be why is it so hot I remember when I was in the, in the roofing business I could put up with just about any kind of weather but windy weather used to drive me crazy I mean I would actually there was times when I'd be screaming I'd be on a roof screaming at the weather as insane as that was <laughs> Because that was the hardest thing for me to deal with. But when you think about it, if you're on a roof and you got 18 things you're trying to deal with and it's blowing everywhere, and, and I don't think, I think I retired before I ever came. To, to, but you, So do you see the, the ridiculousness of this crazy man standing on a roof screaming at the wind? That's a good example of eye making, isn't it? But, and I think you understand that too, Brett, right? Well, I definitely understand that. Yeah. So it was eye-making. Instead of either not reacting to it or maybe having the brains to say, maybe it's too windy to work today. But I was, but at the moment, you know, I didn't want to give up the money, so I didn't. So again, thank you. it's a good example of that, I think. Isn't it? Does everybody understand what I'm talking about? The motivation rooted in ignorance leads to a fabrication that then feeds as the Buddha says, from those fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness. What's the, now, again, the Buddha's not talking about human birth. 
what is he talking about here? Comes consciousness. What, we're not giving birth to consciousness. We're giving birth to a quality of mind, ongoing thinking, rooted in ignorance, now creating fabrications. So our minds can create anything that the mind wants. I am what I am. But if I'm ignorant of what's occurring, I can only fabricate what's, uh, what's going on, and that is feeding my interpretive vehicle, my consciousness, for what's occurring. Everybody following me? John, real quick. Um, yeah, it was really helpful that you said the word compensation, and I was just wondering, like, now I can kind of see where I'm doing that and where that falls into my... Because it can be very subtle, especially just as a quick example, I realize I'm starting to, like, compensate and kind of be dishonest about, like... and create this fabrication as I'm about to start school. I see these other students that are younger than me. They're already in the mathematics. They're like ready to go. I'm still trying to catch up to where they are. I'm like judging myself. I'm like, oh, I'm 34 years old, older. I'm not as successful as they are and like all these things. And rather than just stop thinking, I'm trying to like compensate my like lack of ability by maybe changing my behavior or Well, and you see it all, though. Yeah. And, and so, so. The, and the compensation comes from a, a conditioned mind that you're just somehow different and not good enough. And so, in other words, I'm not as young as them, I'm not as smart as them. And so, the, the, do you see where the compensation comes from? It, it comes from a lack of a right view of who you are, which is right. just Laura going to school, yeah. learning something that you want to learn. And the worst possible scenario would be that you didn't learn it. And what would that mean? It means that Laura didn't learn that. Period. I mean, it, it, again, so when you, when you take out the eye-making, you can clearly see the compensation that you're doing. And the compensation is, is itself rooted in what? A fabrication. Yeah. And the fabrication arose from ignorance of Four Noble Truths, didn't it? Which is stated by the First Noble Truth is there is stress. So where's the stress that you're reacting to? The idea that you're going into a situation that you somehow don't fit. Right. That law is going to be noticed or not, you know, not be up for the task or whatever it might be. In other people's eyes. But again, look at the... Where are those other people's eyes in this moment? They're in your mind, aren't they? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. how, how, could, how could you even come to any kind of reasonable conclusion when your mind is stuck in that whirlwind of eye-making? You can't. But you dis- you described that. You took a breath and you recognized the eye-making in the moment. And you also described where it arises from. That the, the compensation, the compensatory um, uh, instinct in this moment is always rooted in 
ignorance of Four Noble Truths always rooted in self-loathing. I'm just not good enough. Or that, that I need more in this moment. And so we might do all kinds of crazy things to compensate. Or we'll just take a breath and, and go to school when it's time to go to school, which I think you're going to do. <laughs> so Thanks, Lord. gradual stilling of that fabrication in her practice. She sees that disturbance and sees that within her practice that there's a, a way to still that fabrication. Yes. Thank you, David. And that, that's practice. That's practice. Yes. What, what Laura is describing is practice. The, the, um, the fact that she momentarily got caught up in school doesn't mean that there's a lack of Dhamma practice. The fact that she recognized getting caught up in it is Dhamma practice. And it's reinforced then. Pardon me? That, that thinking is reinforced, so therefore that becomes the conditioned mind. Yeah. That this this does work and there is a change in how you will approach that next time where that scenario presents itself. That's right. And so as you... This moment holds the potential to either further my ignorance or further awakening. And what David is talking about is that fine point. We just did our wise restraint structure study. This is why we need concentration so we can make... so we can recognize that we're doing this and stop it. But again, what does it take? It takes jhana. It takes concentration. What a great... Kevin, did you have something that you want to say? No. Um, well, maybe just about Laura's point in these situations, you know, the dishonesty part, you know, and where, you know, where is ultimately that coming from? Or who are you being... Where's the dis, Who are you being dishonest to? And, yeah. And like you were saying earlier, this allows us to experience us or, or life you know yeah. our life I have to life. stop making me if I'm going to experience me don't I mm-hmm. you know and I feel like and you understand when you are to, yeah or when you may have yeah so you do it less and so why would I do it why would I do why would I think that I needed to to acquire or change something about myself if, if I wasn't if I wasn't rooted in self-loathing or a a general sense of inadequacy, and we're kind of all taught that. You know, we're we're even the 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 um, the, the Western model is that we always have to be become something better than ourselves. It's kind of the point of human life, rather than live a human life and do some really fun things like you know maybe be an astronaut or or go to school. Or be a meditation teacher, or or play golf, whatever it might be. But there's there's no there's no value in there's no value in that except that we place on it. And it's interesting that as human beings we don't place that value on ourselves. We place this the, the, we place the value on something, a fabrication to become, rather than what I am in this moment. And that's always been curious to me. I can never understand. I didn't understand even a thought, but why can't I just be who I am? Why do I always... Why, I mean, I didn't understand that I was, make, I was making myself do these things. You know, the feedback loop that the Buddha describes. But I did it, and we get caught up in it, and we think that that's life. We become familiar with a certain quality of mind that is described here. And because of that familiarity, 
we we just we continue it. It doesn't it doesn't take a lot of um, high high level reasoning to see that we're doing something because we're familiar with it. That's all. From ignorance as a requisite condition comes fabrications. From fabrications as a requisite condition comes consciousness, ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance. From that consciousness, ongoing thinking rooted in ignorance of four noble truths as a requisite condition, this doesn't happen unless this condition is present, comes name and form. The Pali word for name and form is namarupa. Namarupa simply means I'm now identifying with this. I'm self-identifying with this. From fabrications comes consciousness, ongoing thinking, rooted in ignorance of four noble truths. Now, because of that ignorance, I think this is me. But again, what are we describing something? This, this, this conclusion of me is rooted in what? It's rooted in ignorance. I'm not seeing this clearly. It's still a human being. But the person that is most responsible for this human being doesn't know what it is. It's likely going to make a mess of its life at times anyway. Or maybe at least not function in a very calm and peaceful way because of that ignorance. From name and form, from self-identification as a requisite condition comes the sixth sense base. So now my senses are coming into play in this process. They were always there, but now we're describing a process that is rooted in ignorance that leads to stress. So again, the Buddha is describing that human process. I have a sixth sense base, the five physical senses, and that sixth sense of consciousness. So I'm coming in contact with the world. This is what the Buddha is describing. And I'm using the excuse me, the interpretive or the compensatory vehicle for encountering that world, my mind. If that mind is rooted in ignorance, it will have to compensate in this moment. It will have to adjust this moment. If it's rooted in wisdom, it will simply be present. This is what we do to ourselves. This is the process that the Buddha is describing. And if we recognize and interrupt any one of these stages, any one, and it doesn't matter which one, the whole chain of, of, of conditionality falls apart. That's why the, the metaphor of the, 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 the 12 conditional chains works here. From name and form as a requisite condition, I have to keep this process going, comes the sixth sense base. From that sixth sense base, as a requisite condition, now comes contact. So this process, up until now, occurs in a human mind outside of a time frame. We don't recognize it's occurring. It's just, it occurs in one thought. And then the next thought continues it. And the next, and the next, and the next. So we live our life stuck in that feedback loop stuck in this process unless something comes along to interrupt it. That's jhana meditation, that's concentration. We're able to see that we're doing this. So now as I've come in contact with the world as a requisite condition, and my reference point is ignorance, from contact as a requisite condition comes feeling. The most intense human experience is feeling, isn't it? And it's coming in contact with the world. The world generates my experience, my contact, my entanglement, my engagement, creates a feeling. It's just a feeling. 
But if that feeling is rooted in ignorance, feeding a consciousness that is maintaining that ignorance, and my sixth sense base is now programmed to compensate for my own ignorance, that feeling is a reaction rather than just a feeling rooted in understanding. And what happens when it's a reaction? From that feeling as a requisite condition comes craving. That feeling created more of me. And because I think this is the whole point of my life, creating more of me, I crave more of the feeling. Because the feeling is my creative force. That's when I feel alive. That's when I feel that I'm creating me. I just fooled myself to think that my feeling is defining me rather than my feeling is my life. It's saying here, you're alive here now. What gives me life? It's the one thing that I've been fighting my whole life. As a drug addict, it's the one thing that I tried to drown is feeling. If I'm not a drug addict, drug addict, drug addict, I do it in other ways. I do it with shopping or sex or golf or etc. 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 or power or money. You know, I'm always compensating for the lack of understanding. And it, it, there's nothing there that feeds craving save for ignorance. But do you see how the process begins? and is now fueled by the most ordinary aspect of humanity, feeling. It defines me. If I can just leave it alone, if I cannot eye make over feeling, then I can have life. Then I can be in this moment the way this moment is intended to me to be. And if you want to believe in a, in a creative God, then by that creative God. But you don't have to. Because you don't need it to experience what it means to be a human being in this moment. And if you think that you need God to give you this moment, you've just lost this moment. Because you've, created, you've, you've, you've colored it in a fabrication. You've created a specialness out of it, didn't you? I'm so wonderful that God made this. No. You're so wonderful because you're living in this moment. And how do you know you're living in this moment? Because you have a feeling. From feeling as a requisite condition, from craving, from craving as a requisite condition comes clinging and maintaining. I'm alive. But now because I am alive and I'm making this life, I'm, I cling to it rather than to just understand that I don't have to add anything to have a life. It's just me. I'm here. I don't have to justify it. I don't have to qualify it. I don't have to explain it. All that I have to do is understand it. That's the one charge that I have in my life. Understand it. What else could be important to anybody but to understand what you are? And we have the ability to do that. In all of the universe, as far as we know, and we have great understanding about all kinds of things, the human species, and maybe dolphins, maybe whales, 
and dogs. But let's just talk about human beings because we are probably the higher part of that. We are the only species that can figure it out that we know of. We're the only species that can have this profound level of self-reflection to say, this is not me, this is not mine. We have the ability to think at that profound level and recognize that this feeling doesn't define me. That this feeling invigorates me. It gives me life. But if I think I have to own the feeling, I just lost my mind and lost my life. From clinging and maintaining as a requisite condition comes becoming. Becoming what? In this process, becoming further ignorant. From that becoming as a requisite condition comes birth. So look at this whole process now that it's taken me almost an hour to describe. From ignorance as a requisite condition comes birth. Birth of what? Birth of an ignorant moment. But that's not all bad because that ignorant moment is mine. And I can do with it what I want as long as I have a well-concentrated mind and a framework to understand it. And again, Laura described that perfectly. She got caught up in it, recognized it, took a breath and came out of it. That's Dhamma practice in this moment. From birth as a requisite condition comes aging, sickness, death, sorrow, regret, pain, distress, and despair. Excuse me. From giving birth to a moment rooted in ignorance comes fabrications. From that mind, that consciousness rooted in fabrications, I now start reacting to the normal qualities of having a human life. I react to getting old. Oh, I don't want to old. I don't want to get old. I don't want to ever die. And like most human beings, we get fear of death and fear of getting old and all that kind of stuff. Or when I get sick, I lament and I regret it and I fight about it and I argue about it and I fight about it and I blame God and everybody else. And I blame the world for COVID or the Chinese or someone else. When even if it was the Chinese, it's still me living in the world with the Chinese. So we can get into the legalities of all that if we want. I'm living in this world. It's up to me to deal with it. If I want to spend the rest of my life blaming some one or something that gave me a virus, go ahead and lose your mind over it. Or accept the fact that right now I don't feel good. What can I do about it? What can I do about it? Do I lose my mind over worldly conditions? No. Do I lose my mind over internal conditions? No. Because now I understand the process. I know that if this moment is stressful for me in any way, it's because in this moment I don't understand it. But I also have a process to understand it now. Now, what is aging and death? Aging is decrepitude, brokenness, graying, decline, weakening of the faculties. Why is the Buddha teaching this 2,600 years ago and today? Why is he saying something so obvious? He's saying, this is what you have as a human life. You're going to age. It's going to feel like this. So if you're younger, you might want to try and do a few things while you're a little bit more capable, like wake up. Understand this. 
Because if you don't, death is the passing away of the five clinging aggregates. It's the ending of time. It's the interruption of the life faculties. You don't have forever to do this, folks. You don't have forever to understand what it means to have a feeling and not want it to be any different. Now, what is birth? Birth is the descent. The coming forth, the coming to be. Birth is the appearance of the sixth sense base and the five clinging aggregates. What are the five clinging aggregates? The Buddha's description of the ongoing personal experience of suffering. So Buddha, the Buddha is describing here from ignorance giving birth to suffering. The ongoing personal experience of suffering. But it's rooted in my mind. It's not rooted in any type of worldly condition. We do this to ourselves and we can understand that we do it to ourselves. David described this beautifully before. Now what is becoming? How do we do this to ourselves? How do we become ignorant in each and every moment? Becoming is sensual becoming. Grasping after sensory fulfillment in this moment. Using my senses. What, 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 I can't think of the right word. What animates my senses? feeling. What animates my senses even more? A thought attached to a feeling. That's called an emotion. But it's just a feeling. It's my feeling. I own it. I should be able to do whatever I want with it if I own it. The problem is I don't. And because I don't own it, because my mind is rooted in ignorance, feelings literally drive me nuts. They make me lose my mind. But it's just a feeling. It's just a feeling. If I can unown the feeling through concentration, then when that feeling arises, I can understand this is a feeling. This is what it means to be alive. Why do I have to change it? Why do I feel the need to change it? Because I don't understand it. But if I understand it, then I can just feel it. Becoming is sensual becoming, form becoming, and formless becoming. Formless becoming is living in our imagination. Living in the future. Living in the next moment. The next moment's going to be a better moment. Because if I just learn one more thing, if I can gain a little bit more knowledge, or meditate a little longer, or bow a little harder, or fool enough people, then I can become something that I think is worthwhile and that I can live in the world. You never will, folks. You'll never get there. We have so many examples of people that achieved what we might think are high levels of living, success, a lot of money, a lot of power. And many of them are scared to death of the next moment, aren't they? Just like us. Acquisition never overcomes feeling. We have to understand it. And we have to understand what happens when we attach a thought to a feeling. If that thought is an appreciation of having a feeling, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am, this is what life is, then we're alive. But if the feeling is something that I have to compensate for or make it different because I don't want it, now I've lost my life, haven't I? How did I lose my life? By losing my mind. I'm not present for this feeling. Or I am. That's the choice. Laura described in her mind 
the feeling that you created out of a situation, right? You can describe that feeling. And in general, it was tension, wasn't it? And you created it, didn't you? You created the feeling. And you also overcame the feeling by understanding. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. That's the process that we do. That's the process that we're describing or that the Buddha is describing here. And what is this thing called clinging and maintaining? The Buddha says there are four types of clinging. Clinging to sensory stimulus. That's clinging to the original feeling that came out of the idea. Clinging to it. Why? Because I felt it. But when I feel it through a mind rooted in ignorance, what has happened now? I created a fabrication, a thought construct over the feeling. I want more of it, I want less of it, or it just bores me. Clinging to sensory stimulus. Or clinging to views. In this case, clinging to wrong views or conditioned views. Not being willing to recognize in this moment, this is not me, this is not mine, this is not what I am. Because that is a direct way to recognize where I'm clinging to views where I'm compensating for a view. And any time we compensate for a view, we're eye-making. And it could be the most compassionate view, but if if it's still rooted in ignorance, it will lead to, to stress and suffering at some point because it's a fabrication. And what is clinging and maintaining? There are four types of clinging. Clinging to sensory stimulus, clinging to views or conditioned thinking, Clinging to precepts and practices. It could be just the idea that if, I, that if I just meditate, I'm good to go. I'll meditate long and hard enough and I'll get some reward for that. Or if I pray for certain things. Or if I pray for peace. People have been praying for peace forever. The world is as violent as it's ever been. In my lifetime, I'm almost 67 years old. There's never been one day in my life where a war hasn't been going on. We don't often hear of it, but there's a, that's the truth. There's always been a war going on somewhere on the planet. We hate each other. And we hate each other because of the way we feel about each other. And we kill each other because I feel that you won't listen to me. What could be stupider than that? What could be more foolish than that? And yet we've been doing it forever. You would think that the first time a human being ever struck another human being out of anger, they would have realized how, sh- how shitty that, I'm going to say it, how shitty that felt. And learned from it. And that would have been the end. And we would have evolved as a peaceful people that never could even have a thought of hurting another person. But why didn't we learn? Because we compensated for the feeling and we made something other than what happened out of it. And we justified it. And we said, that person made me punch them because of the way they made me feel. And we've been doing it for millions of years. And you would think that we would learn about it. We would learn, wouldn't we? Well, you, you, that's, a, that's a bad thought, isn't it? Because we haven't learned. We human beings do not have the ability to extricate themselves from ignorance unless they have a path. And that's an eightfold path. Maybe I should say most people. Maybe I should just say us. And we're so fortunate that we figured it out. 
clinging to precepts and practices. Anytime I think that I have to do anything to prove myself, a thousand bows. Anytime that I think that there is an action that I can take that will be seen by an outside agency and somehow bring benefit to me is the greatest fabrication anybody could have. Right? I mean, would anybody argue with that? As a human being? Can a human being actually experience something other than what they're experiencing in this moment? No. No. Can you give me an experience? No. Can you color my experience? Yes. But only if I let you. Clinging to precepts and practices and clinging to a doctrine of self. Clinging to a doctrine of self. This is not me. This is not mine. This is not what I am. We finally realize that the problem all along wasn't the world, wasn't our parents, wasn't our boyfriends or girlfriends or our dogs. It wasn't because we weren't tall enough or short enough. It wasn't any of those things. It was just one thing. The one thing that drove me nuts. Ignorance. And a very specific ignorance. In a very easily ended ignorance. Ignorance of four noble truths. This is stress. This is the, con- the cause of stress. This is the cessation of stress. And it is the eightfold path. It is the path leading to the cessation of stress. And what is craving? There are six classes of craving. Craving for form. Craving for continued eye-making. Craving for sounds. Pleasant sounds or unpleasant sounds. Craving for an unpleasant sound is called aversion. Craving for smells, craving for taste, craving for physical sensations, craving for ideas, intellectual craving. We all do it, and it's all rooted in eye-making. It's all rooted in ignorance, isn't it? (coughs) And what is feeling? Feeling has six classes as well. Feeling arising, arising from eye contact, from ear contact, from nose contact, from taste contact, from body contact, and from intellect contact. Using our senses. Again, if I'm using my senses in a way that is rooted in ignorance, what can I hope to do in this moment? Give rise to another moment rooted in ignorance. This is called feeling. Now, if I turn that feeling around and I'm using my senses animated and informed by a mind rooted in understanding, what is happening now? Feeling arising from eye contact is going to be rooted in understanding. And I'll simply see what is there. I'll hear what is there. I'll feel what is there. I'll understand what is there. Because my mind isn't trying to make something other than what's there. One thought. This is called feeling. Understanding at this moment that I'm attaching a thought to a feeling or I'm not. I'm simply feeling it. And I'm interpreting this feeling appropriately. Because I understand. Because I'm using my human mind in an adult way. Awakening is gaining full human maturity. An adult doesn't whine about or cry about what's occurring, would they? Because they understand. 
This is called feeling. And what is contact? So again, simply describing what it means to come in contact with the world. Phenomena contacting the eye, the ear, the nose, the tongue, the body, and the intellect. That is contact. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're talking about. An ordinary human life, coming in contact with the world, but now having a framework to do just that. To in this moment, to understand moment by moment, in a common, peaceful way, what it means to be a human being. That's the end of part one. We'll conclude part two on Tuesday. Um, and please try to join it, because this, this is an important part of this structured study. So let's go online first. Um, I can't remember who joined us first. I think it was Jeannie. Jeannie, how are you? How are you guys? How are you, everybody? Good. <laughs> what did you think of tonight's teaching? I mean, it's great. I mean, it, it just, uh, I don't, it, it's nice to be in a, a group of people that share similar, I don't want to call them issues, but inquiries. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's just interesting to hear how other people articulate these things and how um, collectively everyone's navigating through them. Uh, and it's also, like I said last week, just kind of a nice refresher for me to be like, oh, I can, I can let all these little nuances that I'm holding on to throughout my day go because they're just... They don't have meaning or purpose yep. to what I'm doing. Yeah, Jeannie just started um, the Truth of Happiness with with Brian Brian's teaching. Where what where are you in that uh, in the course? I mean, week. I'm in week two. Okay, week so two. what we what we're just studying here, you're going to come up. I think it's week six or seven. So you're kind of getting a preview yeah. of it too. So, um, and you, this isn't something to be seen like like it's it's beyond you or you're not ready for this because the Dhamma is just like that. And I'm sure Brian has told you that a lot of it is just repetition and hearing the same suttas right. and the same themes over and over again. And you find different ways to apply it because you're different. You know, every time you hear the Dhamma, David right. brought that up on retreat. Brilliant. So I'm glad you joined us today. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Brian. Hi, John. Yeah. I, to that point, I had no idea what this is about a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. No clue what we were talking about. I was trying to memorize the 12 links and what do the 12 links mean? And what's this cosmic correlation to all this stuff? And it's, it's just, none of that was really relevant. Yeah. And, um, you know, a year and change later, it, it really is just that personal experience of, of stress and, and folding in anatta and impermanence and the three marks of existence and in seeing that ego personality get created through these fabrications and contact and clinging and um, and just seeing that process clearly after developing enough concentration to do so really does start to unravel the the ties that bind that ego together. Yep. Uh, and and each time you go through uh, a teaching like this. It does start to, to clarify in your mind and the clouds start to clear a bit each time. So 
Thank you. Again. Thank you, Brian. It is. It's just such a when you understand the context and you've heard it at least three thousand times, you you really can see the that this is just a description of eye making. It's just what we do to ourselves, and it's brilliant in that way. But it does take some context. Again, the, the first the first you know twenty or thirty times I read it, it didn't really make sense. But now it's it's one of the most obvious things to me. Um, but I understand it does take a while to to develop that, right, Jane? Right, John. Hi, everybody. Yes, Kate. Thank you so much for the teaching. I'm just going to take noble silence tonight. I'm glad you joined us. Julia, how are you? I'm doing really well. This was amazing. Well said. Thank you. Um, So what I'm, I also, I have this thought. So I've always thought kind of what Jeannie mentioned, like, oh, we kind of have like all the same problems. Oh, we're all like the same but that is like it sounds like our fabrication is is the same which isn't real which is not actual living life but we actually are unique um if we remove the fabrication it's like we are unique in each each person living their life because we're all having different feelings and that's what makes us unique rather than us like I was, yeah, I've always thought like, you know, we're kind of all the same. Wow. We all think the same or, or, but that's not true. Like, that's just me making stories up. Like our stories are the same, like the stories we tell yeah. ourselves, but not our actual life that we've, that we either like run from by using distractions. That's right. Whether it's like the internet or, but yeah, this was fantastic i i loved this yeah saturday will be part two um it, it, it uh let me do I, I i had a thought and i lost it um ah. let me who's who's in the room thank you julia i wish i could remember that thought it was a good one but uh, uh there's one other person online i can't read your name is it Deb? Yep. Hey, Deb. I forgot. Hey. There you are. What did you think um, of the class tonight? My only thought is, is awesome. Do you, do you see how this how this fits in in the process of eye making? Absolutely. I I feel like I understand it on some level. It isn't like integrated into me yet, though. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know if that's clear. <laughs> no, but you're you're also coming up on this. This will be uh, week again, week six or seven in that Truth of Happiness course that you're taking as well. So it'll be you'll, yeah. you're getting a preview of it. It'll become more apparent, apparent as you go through the uh, through the sutta, uh, through the through the course. I had I had one thought when you were saying that we hate each other. Um, and I was thinking, is that, you know, because we also hate ourselves. Yeah. And I, again, using the, the, the strong word for aversion, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's sometimes our aversion rises yeah. to the level of hatred. Uh, and again, it's just, it's a word that we use to describe, uh, extreme human aggression on each other, isn't it? And we do it not, yeah. you know, nobody here in this room, I guess, but you know, we, as human beings, we do it. And uh, 
and it, what you said reminded me of what Julia said that the the one of the things that Siddhartha Gautama realized that was so radically different from everything that uh, the so-called spiritual teachings of his time and today is that we aren't one entity or one mind or a, a cosmic mind or a universal mind or any of that. He taught that we, as human beings, we are discrete and we should recognize that discreteness. There's similarities in experiences and, that, and that's, that's what Jeannie was talking about, that we all have similar experiences. And because we structure our classes the way we do, meaning we only talk about the Dhamma in these rooms, our discussions are, are framed that way. So we're always talking about our experiences interacting with the Dhamma. And so that's just how we guide each other in developing the Dhamma. It's how it works this way. And it works pretty well, I think. So. Uh, Brett, how are you tonight? I'm good. Uh, thanks for your teaching. Um, I've been working on trying to feel my feelings. How does it feel? Uh, it feels good. Um, I've spent years running from feeling my feelings and basically spinning my wheels in a million different directions just yeah. because of fear of just not feeling yeah. what is occurring. Yeah. And whose feeling was it? Excuse me. Whose feeling was it? Uh, whose feeling... Feeling, <laughs> I was fine. Yeah. <laughs> um, it is. It's. It's. You're, you're laughing at the absurdity of. Well, no, I, I said, yeah, I quite understand it. Yeah. Whose feeling was it? Uh, I mean, it's my feeling, obviously. Yeah. But I mean, I'm not. You know, I'll do anything to avoid. Feel. You know. I in the past I've done anything to avoid feeling. Yeah. yeah. And it's exalted. And you always think something else would change the feeling. But the underlying feeling isn't rooted in the situation, it's rooted in conditioned thinking. And that's why we feel like we're living in a Groundhog Day experience. You know, this same stuff keeps coming up. But it's just that one thought. This is me, this is mine. We're glad you joined us tonight. Bridget, what do you think? How's your practice going? <laughs> what do you think of tonight's sutta? Did you find it useful in any way? Very useful. I think that um, some of the struggles, I guess, were, I don't know, steps in my practice that are coming up for me are in this teaching. But yeah. I think it's going to take me a little while to unpack it all. Yeah. I think it's just, like you often say, it's so simple. It is so simple. But applying it yeah. sometimes in the moment yep. when you're making that contact, it takes so much practice. Yep. That's so. the right word. It takes practice. So, <laughs> so you can do it in this moment. Yeah, yeah. so I definitely need more practice. <laughs> well, that's what we're all doing. But, but you get it. You understand it. That's, that's, yeah, it's I in think this. too, sometimes it's like a, you know, a sculptor doesn't build something, it strips things away. Yes. And I feel like even in my practice, it's not that I am adding things to it. It's that each week I come and each time I listen, 
it's one more thing to just take off of the pile. Like, That's right. <laughs> yeah. And maybe move forward through the next set of experiences with, without that. <laughs> And yeah. then I find another thing. So. Yeah, that's that's a, a great description of, of practice. It just takes continued right effort. Do you notice a more uh, calm and peaceful mind in your moment-by-moment -moment life? I do. I'm finding kind of when you were talking about, uh, you know, what occurs within as opposed to, you know, the contact kind of experiences. Yeah. Today, it, it was interesting that Laura brought up a pleasant experience. I had a pleasant experience today. And I felt myself want to cling. And I was able not to cling. I just had this pleasant day. And I'm, I'm a big clinger. So <laughs> I just <laughs> felt myself end the experience. I felt myself move to another experience, which was also pleasant. I had the experience. And then I moved on to a series of experiences that were less pleasant. <laughs> um, and it didn't throw me. But some of those more complicated contact kind of experiences that I've conditioned myself to have a lot of stressful reactions to. And so you did. Those I need more, more yeah. practice. Yeah, but that, that is just practice. And getting rid of those the stressors is just letting go of an idea, even though they feel solid. Feel yeah, cool. and I think there's a lot of, like you, you've mentioned, our conditioning, you know, especially in Western society, even things that are meant to be positive about boundary setting and healthy relationships and what you deserve. And, you know, I... I appreciate a lot of the effort towards uh, equality for women, and there's some positive stuff out there, but some of the messaging I think I've subjected myself to that I really ingrained deeply mm -hmm. is negative, and I didn't oh, realize yeah. it. So as those are some of those things I'm trying to strip off and say, but wait a minute, what's without any of that, what is my experience in this wow. moment? What's true without even my own fabrication, let alone social media fabrication, the other people in the rooms. Like, if you pile up all the fabrications, where's the truth of the moment? Yeah. So. Bridget, that's, a, that's a, a great and profound understanding. And to extricate yourself. All those things, all the, even the, 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 the great uh, modern societal issues are all fabrications. That doesn't mean that there's some underlying truth to them. But the way, because <coughs> because the issue is maintained in a collective fabricated mind, there's never any resolution in the, in the direct approach, even though humanity as it evolves does naturally resolve some issues just as a consequence. We, 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 we do learn from our mistakes, but it takes a hell of a long time to do so. And there's a much quicker and more peaceful way to understand where this comes from. And that's what you're describing. So good for you. Um, how is your day-to-day your -day practice, if I can ask? You don't have to. If, you, if, it, if it's too personal, just say you'd rather keep it to yourself. I've made progress with meditating once a day. I've made that a routine. And it's kind of, I give myself a window of time. You know, do the once a day, don't miss the once a day. And this week I'm going to be adding in the second time. Good for you. How long is your first sit? 
Just doing five minutes. Right, and then that second sit at five minutes, or even if it's two and a half minutes, just to just to start doing it. Uh, but I think you're going to notice, and I'll probably ask you next week or a couple of weeks, that even a, 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 a deepening of your concentration by adding that second sit. So good for you. Yeah, you joined us. Laura. Thank you, Tom. I'm good. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. I'm glad you joined us. Dama teacher Ron. <clears throat> I'm glad I heard it again. Halfway. Four to 25. <laughs> and again, other new subtleties came up, new, new, just little bits of understanding. I feel the same way. Dharma teacher Kevin. John, nice to see you. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for asking. Nothing to add tonight. Thank you. Nice class. Glad you joined us. Dharma teacher David. John. Our teacher Matt said that dependent origination is our condition. And I thought that was such a clarifying teaching that he gave us that that's what we share we share this condition and the evil path is the means to understand the wisdom that will allow the breaking of this 12 links and Matt's simple description of it so helpful that night and I listened to Laura's example today throughout this whole evening I was just like that experience was laying out pending origination and that her practice was a resolution to it it wasn't a perfect resolution but you can see how the practice does work so thank you Laura Thank you, David. Yeah, I mean, when you look at it that right, dependent origination is conditioned mind, and you look out in the world, we can. It is because of that that we can generate true compassion through wisdom. Wisdom is understanding. I understand the the world is conditioned because I understand my own condition. Gotta condition it, and so why get upset with people that aren't acting the way I think they should act? because that's just a fabrication too. People are living their lives. Whatever um, quality or lack of, whatever quality of understanding or lack of understanding people are expressing is just that. So why should I hate someone because they don't understand? I understand how painful it was for me to hate myself because I didn't understand. Why should I do it to another person? Why would I want to? But but that but that type of compassion can only come from understanding, can it? It it, it doesn't come out of a book. It doesn't come out of um, uh, a, 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 an ideological view. You know, I, I I keep going back. One of the one of the telling st- phrases of my lifetime is Rodney King. Why can't we all get along? Because we can't. That's that's it. Maybe someday we will, but, but what I want to know is I want to be able to get along with myself. Now we can. So we'll finish with Meta as we always do.
uh, we'll finish. The, we'll have the second half of this on Saturday's class. We broke right at where we will get into a little bit more about Nama Rupa, name and form. So take a moment to become mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath and let that mindfulness, mindfulness of your breath unite your mind and your body. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karaniya Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state, let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred in the world. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thank you all for a wonderful class tonight. Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.